What's up, everybody? I'm Bob Walters. This is Locked Up Sports. And we had some baseball drama last night. The Braves play late-inning long ball on a great comeback against the Phillies to even up their series 1-1. The Dodgers are in trouble. Starting pitchers, again, can knock it out of the first inning. They are down 0-2 on the brink of elimination. And we speak literally with the guy who wrote the book on Coach Prime, Jacques Taylor, all coming up next on Locked Up Sports. Outs. That ball's hit well. Darno, deep left. Goodbye. Two-run home run. It's a one-run game. Riley in the air to left field. On the run, Marsh! There it goes! Austin Riley has given the Braves the lead in the eighth! He deals a 2-2. Castellanos in the air to right center field. Harris is on the run. Harris at the track. He leaps. And he makes the catch. Harper might be doubled up. The throw gets away. The throw is It's over. It's over. Brian Anderson, as heard on TBS last night, game two between the Braves and the Phillies. A great, a classic, an instant classic. Down in Atlanta, the Braves with a furious comeback, and they even the series one game apiece. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Bob Walters. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to rate. Don't forget to subscribe. And don't forget to review what you see here. And we got a big one for you here today. We got Coach Prime, the guy who wrote the book on Coach Prime, Jacques Taylor, here with us. The book comes out today. So on the day the book comes out, where is the author? He's right here on Locked Up Sports. So we got a big one, but let's get to the baseball first. I mean, and just real quick, before we even talk about the Phillies and the Braves from last night, which was a a classic right off the bat, uh, the games are already started today, and the Astros have themselves a four-run first inning over the Twins. That series tied 1-1. Minnesota was a raucous ballpark for the first two games of that's of the wild card series, the Astros go in there and they shut them up right away. Four nothing. Abreu with a three run home run in the first inning, and they jump all over Sonny Gray, the former Yankee. They jump all over him. Four runs in the first inning. The Twins threatened in the bottom of the inning. They left two on second and third. We are now in the top of the second, and it's four nothing Houston again. That series tied one one. Later on tonight, you got the Orioles trying to stay in in the series as they drop the first two at home. And now they go to Texas, and they are in deep, deep trouble. It's a young team. They're going to be in a lot of trouble. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let's start with last night, the Braves and the Phillies, and it was all Philadelphia. They got a run in the first. They got two in the third, one in the fifth. Wheeler was just mowing them down, 10 strikeouts. He looked great. And then Darno hit a two-run home run to get him right back in the game. 
They took Wheeler out. The bullpen came in, and they gave up another home run to Austin Riley in the bottom of the eighth inning, a two-run home run that got the Braves. The Braves were dead. The Braves were dead and buried at 4 nothing in the sixth inning of Game 2, down a game already. They hadn't scored a run yet in the series. And they just had a, they just, listen, They like I said, they played long ball. They got a, a, a double play to end it on, on a, a questionable base running play, by, base running error by Bryce Harper, who was on first. He's the tying run. Listen, I, I know he, what he was trying to do. He was trying to, to make it so if the ball hit the wall or if it wasn't caught, he could score and tie the game. But you cannot get doubled off. At first base in that situation, that, that you can't have that happen, especially on a ball hit to the wall. He was, uh, you know, he was 15 feet from third base when the ball was caught. That is way too far because the the throw in even missed the cutoff guy. It was picked up by the third baseman through the first. They got him by a half a step, trying to get back, and just like that, the Braves and the Phillies are one one, heading back to Philadelphia. And listen, I don't know if you hear from the Phillies again. Now they they have a that's a it's a wild ballpark in Philadelphia. That that fan base is going crazy for that team. Unfinished business from last year. We'll see what they could do. I don't I don't know if the if this finishes this would finish a lot of teams, especially against a good team like the Braves. You had them. They you had their foot on you had your foot on their neck. They were down. Your foot was on their neck. All you had to do was finish the job and get nine outs. They couldn't get them. They gave up four runs in those last three innings, two two-run homers, and just like that, Minter with the win, Hoffman the loss, Iglesias got the save for Atlanta, and man, that's going to be a hell of a series going back. That that thing might go five. It's either it's probably it's either going to go five or the Braves are going to win it in four. Is what's going to happen? Because I I don't see the Phillies you know winning two in a row, but the Phillies are a resilient team. They, they seem to be on a mission. That ballpark goes crazy for them. Let's see what happens. The, but for the Braves, that, that, that seventh, eighth, and ninth last night saved their season. A, a great season that the Braves have had. They won the division. The division was over in July. They've kind of just been coasting through. And now they, 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 they got the first round by. And they weren't ready to play in game one. And they weren't ready to play halfway through game two. The bats were silent. And they woke up late and get them 5-4 win in a dramatic 5-4 win. And that kind of welcomed October baseball this year, 2023. And then the late game, the late game, the Dodgers, the Dodgers can't get out of their own way. The pitchers can't get out of the first inning. Arizona with three runs in the first inning last night. They have nine runs in the first inning in the first two games of that series. And they have a commanding 2-0 lead as they win 4-2. And listen, give Mark Mancini all the credit in the world. He's, he's I'm going to ask him a lot of numbers because he's getting everything right. He's not with us today. I have work. The time difference, he's out in L.A. He was only able to do it at about 6 o'clock my time, but I'm not going to be able to do that because I have work. So we're going to try and get him tomorrow, maybe Wednesday. We'll, listen, we'll have him. I'm going to talk to him because I want to talk to him because he's been right about everything. He was right about the Steelers. He was right about – listen, give him credit. Um, so – Quick update, as as we were talking about before, you got the Astros currently with a 4 nothing lead, bottom second, heading to the bottom of the second, and the Twins coming to the, coming to bat, and, you know, that, that's big for Houston. Kind of, kind of shuts that crowd up. It gets, it, it 
because that that's a wild place. And and now maybe it comes into the back of Minnesota's head all the all the troubles they've had in the playoffs in the past. Tonight we got the Orioles and the Rangers. The Orioles on the brink of elimination, getting losing the first two games at home. That's a young team. It's not going to be easy for them to dig out of this hole. The Rangers with Bruce Bochy, a season manager, a season postseason. He's been in the postseason. He's been there before. And let's see, you should know how to close out a series. And everything is saying that, you know, pointing not in the right direction for the Orioles. Tonight, the pitching matchup, even the pitching matchup, not not great. You got Kramer going for the Orioles. He's, you know, that's it. He's their third starter. He's got a, he had a, a 13 and 5 record in the regular season, a four plus ERA. So, not, listen, not great. He had a 1 3 1 whip. Not exactly who you want on the mound. Where your season on the line, Dean Kramer, pitching for the Baltimore Orioles tonight with the season on the line going for the Rangers, is Nathan Avaldi. So he was 12-5 and in the regular season, 3-6-3 array, a 1.14 whip, and he pitched 144 innings. So Nathan Avaldi, listen, it's a it, the, the Orioles got themselves in a bad spot here. One game at a time for them. See if they can dig dig themselves out of a hole, get it back to Baltimore for a game five. But it's going to take it's going to take a lot to have that happen. I want to get to our interview right now. We have um, Jacques Taylor. The book is Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and the Making of Men. Right there, it comes out today. So the day the book comes out, we got the author right here on Locked Up Sports. Um, it's an interesting interview. This guy is friends with Deion Sanders. He's known him for forever since he was on the Cowboys. Um, like I said, I told you last week, you, you know, the, you know, Jacques Taylor. You might not know the name, but you definitely know who he is. He was on the sports reporters back in the day. He wrote for the Dallas Morning News. He covered the, the Cowboys forever, 20, 25 years. Uh, he's still on ESPN all the time. So enjoy the interview. Here's my interview with Jean Jacques Taylor, the author of Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. And the making of men. All right, so now we'd like to welcome in our guest, Jacques Jean Jacques Taylor. He's a longtime columnist at the Daily uh, Dallas Morning News. He covered Dallas Cowboys. He covered HBCU schools, and he's got a book out right next to me here. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and the making of men. Jacques, welcome to the show. Hey, bro, what's happening? Not much. Uh, I, I was just telling him I enjoy I enjoyed the book. Uh, if you, unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard you know the whole big Coach Prime and and Deion Sanders and and lo, the legendary story that he's uh, authoring at at uh, Colorado. Now, tell me about how the book came about, how you decided to write it, how, maybe how you got the access. Um, do you know Dion from from back in the Cowboy days? What what's the story there? Well, yeah, me and uh, obviously I've known Dion since he uh, showed. Actually, my his first year in Dallas was 1995 after being a uh, 1994 Defensive Player of the Year with San Francisco. Uh, my first year on the Cowboys beat was 1995. So we kind of came in there together. Uh, now, I like to tell folks that I didn't really have much interaction with him his first couple of years, nor did anybody else except for after games and press conferences. And then uh, one day I had – he was leading the league in punt returns, 97, I think. And I uh, went up to him because he wasn't in the locker room all that often. And I said, hey, I'm trying to do this piece on uh, the guys who block for you. And uh, he was like, oh, okay, yeah, have, have a seat, sit down. And so he filled up the notebook. I wrote the story. I took it to him, and I said, uh, hey, here's what I wrote. And uh, the next time he saw me, he was like, hey, I like that. Anytime you need me, come holler at me. And uh, that just kind of began our relationship. Um, 
And it just it just progressed over the years. Like uh, my son went to a, went to his football camp in Dallas. Um, you know, I've done some various different stories on him over the years. And really what happened was uh, I got known as a guy who had a good relationship with him. And so when Sports Illustrated was looking to do a cover story on him last year, he and the Jackson State program, they called me and said, everybody seems to think you're the guy with the best relationship with him. Can you do a piece? I said, Sports Illustrated, cover story? Heck yes. <laughs> and so uh, I did that. And literally two days after that, I got a call from uh, Harper Collins saying, We've been looking for somebody to write a Dion book for a couple of years. Would you be interested? And I said, yeah, let me call him and see if, if how, you know, if it makes sense, uh, if he's cool with that, because if he's not going to give you access, then what's the point? And so uh, it took him about two seconds to go, hey, it's all good. Sounds great to me. Do your thing. I got you, whatever you need. And uh, we just. Now he can, he can come off kind of as like a, you know, because anything Dion does, he does big. He does with a splash. He, you know, he does with flair. He could come off kind of as like, yo, a little pompous. But from what I've heard, I've never been around him. But from what I've heard, he's one of the nicest guys out there. Well, this is what I would tell you, bro. Um, think about think about how he – because what you described is football, Dion. Mm-hmm. Think about how his baseball teammates describe it. It, it sounds nothing like football, Dion. You're right. You're because right. Because that Absolutely. is smart. It is – at his heart of hearts, he's really now. Don't laugh when I say this. He's really kind of a quiet guy. Like he doesn't say a whole lot. He got a tight group of friends, and uh, he cuts up with that group. But other than that, you know, he's really a quiet guy. A uh, you know, what do you say about dudes? Let's go fishing. People like to go fishing. Don't talk. You know what I'm saying? They just yeah. don't. Uh, yeah. You know, um, and so that's how it is. So uh, his football persona. It's much different than his baseball persona, and it's much different than who he really is as an everyday man. The guy that you see, or the guy that I know, um, you know, he just, he's, he's, Dion is a character, okay? I mean, Primetime is a character. Coach Prime, in a lot of respects, is a character. And if you've known him long enough, you can tell when Dion leaves and Primetime shows up. <laughs> it's when his theme music comes on, right? That's when, that's when Primetime shows up. <laughs> now you were you were around them for for the whole season. Uh, you got you got all kinds of access, whatever you wanted. What what kind of coach is he? Is he is he an X's and O's guy? Is he is he a rah rah guy? Does he scream and yell at the at the at the guys a lot? What kind um, you know, I would describe him like this. I would say he's a CEO coach, which means he sits at the at the top, and uh, he would say stuff like. Uh, Hey, Bob, uh, who you like in defensive tackle this week? I think Taylor should start. What do you think? Well, I think uh, I think Walter should start. Yeah. Okay, you sure about that? Yeah, Coach, I think Walters will do a better job than Taylor. Okay, well, I think Taylor should start, but it's your call. You do what you want to do. Uh, and then if Walters plays great, hey, great decision, no problem. And if Walters plays like crap, you're going to hear about it. I told you Taylor was going to be better, but here's what he does. He lets you make your own decisions. He's a coach, but you get to figure out how you want to play this thing. Um, and the coaches I talk to appreciate the autonomy because anybody who's ever had a boss knows you can't stand a micromanager. All right, so that's one thing he does. Now, the other thing he does, which is what he's really good at, is uh, creating opportunity for players and getting players to believe. And part of that is, and I've seen him do this, I've seen him stop a kid in the hallway and say, hey, you, you think you're ready to do something this week? 
Yes, sir. Well, you've been asking for this opportunity, right? Yes, sir. Okay, I tell you what. You've been wanting to be on special teams. We haven't had a spot. I made a spot for you. Here's your spot. I'm going to give you this week to show me what you can do. I've seen him do that in the hallway with a guy. I've seen him tell coaches, this guy's a dog. We need to figure out how to get him the ball. I know he's not starting right now. Get him up and make sure he gets four or five touches early in the game. He does stuff like that. So when you say does he coach, he coaches coaches. Um, He gets his team to believe. He sets the tone for everything in terms of, of, uh, you know, he's got no time for mediocrity. It's all about championship standard. It's all about doing things to the best of your ability. And then the one thing he's really good at, man, real talk, he don't do anything he wouldn't ask you to do. So that means if he sees a piece of trash on the floor, he will pick it up. Uh, he went off on the team one uh, during one game at halftime because nobody had stopped to uh, empty the trash and it was overflowing. <laughs> so that kind of attention to detail. Uh, and so he, he did the trash himself because he got mad. But that's the kind of guy he is. That's the kind of coach he is. Now, a lot, a lot of times, a lot of times, great players like Dion Hall of Famers, they either they either don't want to coach or they're not great coaches because almost because they they got by on their talent. You know, they, uh, you can't right. teach what Dion has as as a as a cornerback in the secondary. You can't teach that. He's just a great player. Why do you think he wanted to do it? Is it because he wanted to to help out with young kids? What, what do you think motivated Dion to actually get into coaching? No, he's always wanted to work with kids. You got to understand, for the early part of his life, before his mom got married, he was a child of a single parent. He would tell you he was a latchkey kid, came home from school. Mom left dinner on the stove. He put it on. We had no microwaves uh, because he and I are the same age. No microwaves when we were growing up. So (laughs) you got to cook it on top of the stove. And so the most influential people to him growing up were coaches. And he saw the effect the coaches had on his life, not just in terms of providing structure, but in terms of teaching him and showing him how to dream, meaning if you come from a small house in a uh, in a rough neighborhood and you stay in my house and it's a suburban, that teaches you, oh, there's something else out there. If on the way to the ballpark, you pass all these mansions, you go, oh, I wonder what I have to do to get one of those. And so it, it gave him an opportunity and allowed him to dream and dream big. And then he just decided that's what I want. And so I'm going to do everything humanly possible to go get it, and uh, you know that's uh, that's the way he that's the way he that's why he has an appreciation for coaches, and then he tries to give that same thing to the kids that he coaches. I mean, co- coaching uh, coaching college is not easy. Like you said, you said he's a CEO. You have to be a CEO with everything that goes on, and, and I'm sure you saw just being around a, a college program that it's just it's it's a massive operation, a college football program. And yeah, okay, good, good. No, I was I was just gonna say, you know, he was he was in charge of a youth organization, and a lot of people just kind of poo poo and go, well, okay, so what did you coach some seven and eight year olds? It wasn't that he coached seven or eight year olds; it's that he had an entire organization with a team of seven and eight year olds, a team of nine and ten year olds, a team of eleven and twelve year olds, team of twelve and over, and then you're taking those teams and their parents and their cheerleaders all over the country. But that takes a certain level of organization to be able to do that. And uh, that's kind of where he learned the organizational part. And then you also got to remember, man, he, uh, he played for the Cowboys. He played for the 49ers. He played for the Yankees. Yep. Uh, what he would tell you is, I know what championship teams look like. I know what championship organizations look like. I know how they function. I know how they structure 
All I did was break it down to a lower level, but we keep the same standard that the Cowboys and the Yankees had. And that's what he is. Everything he does, he does perfect, whether it's a meeting for some recruits coming in or, you know, a meet or a dinner for uh, for the coaches. Everything is done to the highest possible standard. And he's and he's been, I mean, so far he's been extremely successful. Besides, you know, a lot of people see this year what he's done at Colorado, but he was 27-6 and six at Jackson State. He won two uh, conference titles. He Now, he, he's changed the way things are done almost, the way he came over to Colorado, bringing his, a lot of his guys, a lot of his coaching staff from Jackson State. Do you think the success that they're having with his, with, uh, his kid at quarterback and with, with Travis Hunter and everything, do you think that bigger schools now might give the HBCU kids uh, a, a second look now that they see how successful and that they, that they can play in, in, in the, the Power Five Conference? Uh, a few of them can play. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Um, now, the reality is, I think off the top of my head, he brought eight guys with him from uh, from uh, Jackson State. Obviously, his son could play anywhere. He was a four-star quarterback. And so could Hunter. Uh, Hunter was a big-time recruit, too. Right. He was a top recruit in the country. Um, a guy named Kevin Coleman came with him. He was a four-star uh, receiver. He's in the, he, he didn't come with him to Colorado. He went to Louisville, and he's starting at Louisville, which just knocked off Notre Dame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he had some players there, but those players, you know, um, it's not so much that it's not so much that you have um, uh, players from HBCUs that can play. It's more that you have players um, if they can play at that level. Um, what's the word I want to say? If they can play at that level, they can play at that level. They were coming; they could have played at any level. They just happened to play at Jackson State. Mm-hmm. And so, what you're trying to do is you're trying to create a situation where it's uh, – I just want – I'm trying to figure out the right way to say it. It's not that guys from HBCUs can play there per se, but I think the bigger thing is he's showing that coaches can – they don't have to do it this traditional way. You can get it done a lot of different ways as a coach. It doesn't just have to be, oh, you need to do it the Nick Saban way or you need to do it the Ryan Day way. There's a lot of the Marcus Freeman way. There's a lot of different ways to do it because the best thing you can say about Dion is that he's authentically himself, and it doesn't matter whether you like it or don't like it. He's authentically himself. Well, I mean, I, I it actually reminds me. I heard, uh, I think it was Jim Leland once, the the old Pirates coach uh, manager and the, and the Marlins manager. He was doing like a forum, and he was speaking, and, and, and this mother was saying how she didn't have money to send her kid to the camp, and she does, she does, she, he's a really good player, and he doesn't she doesn't think he'll get noticed without the camp. And he said, ma'am, he said, listen, if your kid is good enough, we'll find him. We'll find him whether he's good enough, whether he goes to this camp or not. So, like, these schools, they'll find the kid. If he, if he can play, word will get out, and they'll find him. Whether he's at a HBCU school or he's in Nebraska somewhere, he's in the middle of nowhere, they, if he's good enough, he'll, he'll the, 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 the schools will find him. Now, with, now, he won two, like I said, he won two uh, SWAC titles. Do you think he's, he's in this for the long haul? Is, he, is this something he wants to do, you know, for 10, 20 years, or – is it just kind of he wants to you know he he missed the limelight missed the limelight since playing what what do you think is is his uh, end game here with this? No, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's missed the limelight by any stretch. I think it's just a situation where um, he likes he wanted a bigger challenge than high school offered. He's Deion Sanders. He can't really be a guy, or he's not going to be a guy who's taking orders from somebody else. 
So you want to be the head guy. And so if you just want to show up at college football and be the head guy, then there's only certain jobs you're going to get because most of them want you to show up and be an assistant. And so by the time you figure that out, Jackson State, and, you know, I kind of started the book like this. Jackson State needed him to resurrect their program because it had been in indulgence for a decade. He needed them for an opportunity. And so he got the opportunity and uh, took advantage of it. And now, you know, it shows that, it, that there's more than one way to get it done. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue. And he's, he worked, I mean, he, he didn't, you know, work his way up like, like some of the coaches have. And that, that's bothered some of the, the traditionalists. But he did kind of work his way up. He started at Jackson State, which, like you said, it was a lower. It was not doing very well. It's, it's football program was not doing very well. And he worked his way up, and now he's at Colorado. Colorado wasn't a big school until this year. Nobody, nobody watched Colorado. They haven't been good since since Cordell Stewart, you know. But right. let's be real. And now, now that now you got Herb Street and all them doing these games, that they're, they're appointment television, they're his games. Do you think he wants to? He wants to eventually because I thought he would end up at Florida State. You know, that's where he played. That they needed the coach. They didn't choose yes. him. It was tough for him to get a job. Do you think he'll he'll end up there or? At a bigger school? You know, Dion is not, you know, the thing about Dion is he's not a guy who chases money, okay, because he's got enough of that. He doesn't need money. Uh, He's a guy guy who who tends to chase opportunity. Um, But I think if he's happy in Colorado, like, I don't see him moving just to move. Remember, he's a guy who likes nature. He's a guy who likes outdoors. Every house he's ever had once he became Dion, he's had a – huge pond or lake in front of it. So he likes the outdoors. And so Colorado is really built for him in, uh, in that standpoint. And so when you look at it like that, I think that uh, now I would never say what Dion will do because he could change his mind, <laughs> you know, at a moment's notice. So I would never say what he would or wouldn't do. But I don't think he's in any hurry to leave um, uh, Colorado. And so it wouldn't surprise me if he was there for an extended period of time. But it's Dion, so you can just never know what he's going to do. Now, why do you think he? Why do you think football and not baseball is football his first love? Um, yeah, I mean, I just I just think football is what he does. Football is where he was a Hall of Famer. He's a good baseball player, but he's a Hall of Fame uh, football player. And so when you when you're a Hall of Famer, I think you just kind of gravitate toward towards your, your sport of choice. And, um, you know, I mean, he's good at it, and um, he enjoys it. He enjoys hanging. You know, he's got he's got a very tight circle, so he's got his friends with him uh, who are coaches, much like every other Power 5 coach has got. Mm-hmm. And so I just think he enjoys the whole, the whole deal. Now, he um, – you must have – explain to me where, what, what was going through your head the first week this year. Now, you got a book coming out. You know there's a book coming out. Now, he's going to be a big story either way. Watching that TCU game and them going in there into the team that that, lost, that was in the national finals uh, championship game the year prior and beating them, it had to be it had to be perfect storm for you, right? Oh, I mean, I was very uh, obviously I was very thrilled by it because you look and you go, you want the book to do well, and you know I think he's a good coach and a good dude, and so I wanted him to get some validation that yeah, just, you know what I was doing to Jackson State is not just. You know, Jackson State will work anywhere and it'll work a number of places because it's it's a formula. The exact same thing he's doing at uh, Colorado was everything he was doing at Jackson State. Nothing has changed. And so when it's the same like that, you know, it's 
uh, I was talking to his, his son Shiloh, the safety. Mm-hmm. And the one thing Shiloh said is, I went up to him one day, he was eating lunch, eating a salad, as a matter of fact. And I said, I got a real quick question for you. Why does your dad win everywhere he goes? And he looked at me, and he's eating, and he's eating, and he looks up, he goes, he's always got the best players. And he kept on eating. And the more you think about it, that's really what it is. The reason why he'll win at Colorado is why? He'll be able to recruit the best players because who doesn't want to play for him right now? He's got a terrific coaching staff. If you look at the coaching staff, look at the number of former head coaches who are on there, whether it's Tim Brewster at Minnesota, whether it's Sean Mm -hmm. Lewis at Kent State. Um, You know, you got some high school head coaches there. You got Vincent Dancy from Mississippi Valley. You got Dennis Thurman, who was a defensive coordinator in the NFL. You got two or three guys off of Nick Saban's staff. Uh, He's got coaches. When you put good coaches with good players – and you got a quarterback. I mean, it's hard to lose, man. And and then you add in the fact that you're going to be uh, a top story, and the NIL money is probably going to be higher there than it will be at most places, just because the publicity you're going to get if you're if you're a top player on that team on one of his teams. Well, here's the other thing. The other thing is, you know, who better in this era of NIL? Who better to teach you how to market yourself, how to make money off your name, image, and likeness? Better than Dion. Who can teach you better how to be a brand than him? Plus, you can meet your favorite rap stars. You can meet your favorite athletes. Uh, If you're into social media and you want your Instagram numbers or your Twitter numbers or your Twitch stream numbers to go up. They all all those kids want that. All those kids want that. I don't don't get it. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, and, and the other thing is his program is open. Most coaches close their program. I don't want anybody around my program. Well, he opens it up. But he opens it up. Why? So he can control the narrative that gets up. Here's how I, I here's how I act. Here's how our team acts after a tough loss, like USC. Here's how we act when we get blown out by Oregon. Here's how we act when we win at TCU. Here's how we act when. Here's how I act when a player is misbehaved and needs to be disciplined. Here's how I act when I want to praise a player. I mean, he's putting out a recruiting video every day, and uh, parents are just eating it up. Yeah, now you were with them for you were with them for the whole year. Did you see that? Did you see notice like when when maybe, let's say the freshmen that came in the freshman of the year that you were there? Did you notice a difference in them at all through over the course of the year? Maybe because of Dion. Um, I think that the uh, I think that the freshmen always uh, there's always a change, and the biggest change for them is the standard that he holds you to. Uh, and it's not just a football standard. It's a life standard, you know, uh, and, I, and and it's a preparation standard. Because the one thing that gets lost in Dion, the Hall of Fame player, is that he was the hardest working player on every team he's ever been on. Now, there's some other people who work just as hard as him, but he was never on a team where he wasn't the hardest worker or in the conversation that said, oh, these are the hardest workers. And so, you know, he demands work and, uh, you know, and work is on the field and off the field. Uh, Almost every college gets a report at the end of the week on which players are going to class and doing all this stuff. Well, he demands that his assistants look at the report, but then they give it to him. And I've been in his office when he's looking at it going, okay, I need to talk to this guy. Hey, you know, he'll text the assistant, have so-and-so come see me. And he'll tell him, you got to go to class. It's not optional. If you're not, you're not playing this week. 
um, in terms of preparation, how much film are you watching? And he gets these reports, but I've seen from the assistants uh, because he wants everybody to prepare the way he did. He doesn't expect you to play the way he did, but he expects you to prepare the way that he did. Now, did, how do you, how has he changed the like how how what is what is the HBCU schools like post Deion Sanders? Is there any difference now in in the way? Basically, that like Jackson State, I, I'm not positive. I didn't look. How is Jackson State doing this year? Have they kept it up? Have they kept up recruiting? And now that he's gone, well, I, I think Jackson State is four and two. Um, okay, they have they have a solid season. They lost a big game at the start to a Florida A and M. So unless Florida A and M trips, uh, it's going to be hard for them to get back to the Celebration Bowl for a third consecutive year. Um, but Jackson State at one point was a big name. Mm-hmm. All Dion did was restore that name. And so I think they're, they're doing fine. I think you would be lying if you said there's not a difference. I mean, there's a significant difference. Uh, even though they're still on national TV, you can still see their games. There's just, just a difference and there's a vibe in the field because why? You can't replicate the energy that a Deion Sanders brings to your program or he brings to your school. Um, and so because you can't replicate it, it just is what it is, and you have. To, and there's nothing wrong because Jackson State was at the top of the HB, HBCU totem pole, at the top of the ladder. And so what happened was they had for two years, two and a half years, this huge anomaly that made them the top at the top of the college football world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be hard for them to stay there, so they're back to being one of the top of the top of the highest profile schools at their level. But it's just different without all the attention and all the cameras that he brings. Well, I mean, and that's fine. And I and I'm in New York here. We're not we're not huge into college football. I, I'm appointment television, like I said, with the Colorado. And I did watch some of the Jack before the Jackson State. Before I saw some of the Dion Jackson State games, really the only HBCU game I would see every year would be the the Grambling Southern that NBC carried. They carried it every right. year. I think they still carry it. Right. And then and then you start seeing some Jackson Jackson State games on ESPN and whatnot. So he changed it right there. He gave it more exposure. Just the fact that, that I was able to, to, to see other games that I, that I watched it. So it, and to carry that, of course, it's not going to be as big as when Dion was there. But, you know, that's big for a school. And it, exposure is everything when, when it comes to college. No, exposure is the main thing. And nobody does it better than him. Uh, Absolutely. And he does it uh, authentically. Like, he's not afraid of the camera like some coaches. Uh, he puts his players in front of the camera. That gets them used to it. Uh, I wish more coaches would take that approach. Uh, you train them, then you don't have to be so worried about what they say. And yeah, they say stupid like, stuff. And some of them still say some pretty stupid stuff. Well, some coaches say some stupid stuff. Oh, you absolutely. I mean? absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's learning moments for everybody. Now, do you think Shador can, is going to be an NFL quarterback? Uh, sure, it looks that way to me. Um, you know, people question him at Jackson State. I didn't really question him because why? He was a top recruit coming out. He's been trained by Tom Brady and Brett Favre and Jeff Blake, the former Cincinnati Bengals quarterback. Mm-hmm. Uh, his mechanics are impeccable. Uh, he's had a great mind for the game. He's learned uh, three different offenses in three different years, and you can't tell from his production. And so I tell everybody this. I said the ceiling or the floor for Shadour, the floor to me would be long-time NFL backup because he'll be able to, he'll be able to learn an offense – and spit it out and tell you where I should go with the ball. And he's not going to make mistakes. And he'll be a good teammate because he's a good person. Um, and then the ceiling, of course, would be, you know, uh, NFL starter and Pro Bowl caliber player. 
Yeah, I mean, and he he's 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 small, right? He's small for an NFL quarterback. So, and they they tend to go on the metrics. A lot of those those NFL guys, and they're wrong he's a lot. Not about that's, him. He's not that's what he's I not that small. Is he? I think he's uh, I think he's six two two hundred six two two ten. Okay, okay. I listen. He's got the arm for it. He can make every throw that I've seen. I I think he'll be he'll be all right. Now, I wanted before I let you go, I wanted to pick you pick your brain real quick on the Cowboys. Uh, last night they got blown out. You covered them forever. I got a bunch of Cowboy fans that are friends and that watch this show. Are, are, are they now? They probably won't be able to, to to win the division with the Eagles in it. But how how far do you think the Cowboys can go this year? I mean, you can't ask me. You know, if you ask me after they beat New England thirty eight to three, I give you a different answer than when they get stomped by San Francisco forty two to ten. Um, I think they got some things to figure out about their offense. Uh, in two of the last three weeks, the defense has been exposed. And so they got to do some soul searching. They got the Chargers next week, uh, which is a tough game because the Chargers can score points, even up against a good defense. And so, you know, right now I'd say they're still in the in the uh, frame of mind where they can win, you know, 11 games to get to the playoffs. But it ain't really about getting to the playoffs with the Cowboys. They've done that. It's about can you have success in the playoffs. And right now, if you look at what San Francisco did to them, you look at Philly being probably the second-best team, and a team nobody talks about yet because they don't respect them is Detroit, where the Lions are coming because they're taking Dan Campbell's personality. They play with a whole lot of energy, and they're very physical. And so the Cowboys uh, Cowboys still in the mix, but they got to do some serious regrouping, man, because they got destroyed last night, and uh, they just didn't lose a game. They got, they got their feelings hurt. And so yeah, and you that- can either have a party or you can come back and try to make it happen. That was a measuring stick game. It happened early in the season. They have time. That, I, I think Dak is a, is a good player. Hey, listen, I'm a Giants fan, as you see behind me. So it, it's not. It's a disaster for us. <laughs> you know, we're forty nothing. You beat us. You can't take much out of that. Uh, the book is Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and the Making of Men. J J T Jean Jacques Taylor is his name. John, thank you for giving us a couple of minutes here. Appreciate it. Hey man, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you. Good luck with the book. Hey, thanks, Bob. All right, so thank you, thank you, thank you to JJT, Gene Jock Taylor, for coming on the show on the day the book comes out, giving us a you know, a whole rundown of it. if you didn't know Dion, you feel like you know him a little bit better now. That was you know, a lot of stuff there. Uh he likes um the quarterback, Sanders kid to to play in the NFL. I I think he I, I think he's more towards a backup. But we'll, you know, we'll see. Like I told him, he, he can make all the throws. He's been good. He know, he, and I was impressed to learn that he, he's he's learned three now three offering three different offenses in three years. That is not easy. And like you said, you can't tell. There's no dip in the stats or anything. It was against a little bit inferior opponents last year, but this year he came up and he and he's been he's been good so far. And they have won the games. You know, they they won the games that they should have won, and they got the upset against TCU. So the biggest name in sports these days, of course, Deion Sanders and Coach Prime. And the book is excellent. The book runs through the whole undefeated season of Jackson State last year. They lost in the final in the championship game. But listen, twenty seven and six, you can't argue with what he's done. And it sounds like he, you know, he wants to coach. It sounds like he wants to coach. And usually these great players are not great coaches. You know, you can run through run through a bunch of them. Patrick Ewing was not good. Uh, Larry Bird was so-so. Michael Jordan was not good. 
Patrick Ewing, when I say that, he's he's a little different because he started. He what Patrick Ewing did is he started at the bottom and he worked his way all the way up. He was like a coach's assistant, and he worked his way all the way up. But look what happened when he got to Georgetown. He had that that terrible, terrible year where they they really didn't win a game. They won like three games. He won no conference games. But anyway, so. Coach Prime, Deion Sanders and the Making of Men is the book. Pick it up today. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it anywhere books are sold. I will put a link in the comments. And like I said, don't forget to, to rate, review, and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And if you're listening to the podcast, of course, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's get a quick update now before I let you go. It's still 4 nothing as they head to the third inning in Minnesota. 4 nothing Astros with a four-run first inning. Again, last night you had the, the, the classic, instant classic, the Braves with late, late inning runs to, to basically save their season. Because they, they you're not winning. You're not going back to Philadelphia down 0-2 and getting this thing back to Atlanta. And even if they – I mean, they, you're just not winning two games there. So – that series is 1-1. Tonight, 8 o'clock, you got the Orioles and the Rangers. Nathan Avaldi trying to close out the Orioles against Kramer. You know, hey, listen, the Orioles are young. Maybe that maybe that helps them. You know, they just kind of play. They don't think about it. They got a young team. They got a good team. Now, the, the, the Orioles are probably a year away from being, as, you know, the, as good as, as they're going to be. Because a lot of these guys, this is their rookie year, or they came up late last year, late, you know, September call-ups. This is their first taste of the postseason, but you know, not a good start. Not a good start, especially coming off the bye. And you know what? This these couple of games now show you is the bye. Does the bye really help you? You know, I mean, look, you got the Braves who were flat through the first sixteen innings, not without scoring a run. You know, you get almost a week off. You haven't had a week off since the All Star break. In fact, in fact, you haven't had a week off all season because you don't even get the week off at the All Star break. So the Braves came out; they were flat. The Orioles got the bye; they came out; they lost the first two. Now they're in a O two hole. The Astros lost the first game that they played. So the, these teams, you know, with the bye, it's, you got to start going forward. You got to think: is the bye a detriment? Because baseball, you play baseball every single day. Since April, you get a day off here and there, but you basically play baseball every day. You have a game every day. That's what baseball is. It's an everyday thing. And now you get a week off, and then you got to just turn it right back on, flip the switch. And the offenses seem to be having trouble, especially now. It's a little chilly in some some of these spots. So we'll see. 4 nothing Astros, uh, bottom of the second. Orioles, Rangers later tonight. And then tomorrow, it's back to the... National League. Actually, tomorrow all four games, all four series are played. The Dodgers, the Dodgers are in big trouble. The Dodgers are, are a game away from losing. They don't have the pitching. They're not hitting. They, they're, they're giving up runs, nine runs in the first inning to the first two games. They are in big, big trouble as Arizona is up 2-0 heading back home. And that would be a shock. Arizona's a good young team, but uh, I did not see them making it to the NLCS, and now they are nine innings away from possibly doing so. So that does it for us. Again, we want to thank JJT, Jean-Jacques Taylor, for giving us a couple minutes. Again, the book, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and the Making of Men, it's out today. Today it, it comes out. Pick it up. It's a great book. It, it goes through the whole season. 
last year, Coach Prime, he had, he had access to everything in the in the in the athletic in the, in the football program. Everything, anything he wanted, he got. He's a good friend of Deion Sanders. He knows him well. He's a he's a respected, award winning sports writer. So get the book. You're going to enjoy it. I promise. Until uh, this weekend, we will talk with Brett. Brett will be back this weekend. And hey, we'll talk to you. Enjoy the baseball games. Enjoy the football game on Thursday night. I'm not even sure who's playing, to be honest with you. Uh, last night, the Raiders beat the Packers, if you care. They beat them by a touchdown, about four points. 17-13 was the final. Packers were driving late. Love threw a, a pick in the end zone, and that sealed the deal. The Raiders win. Packers, Packers those are two teams who are going nowhere. The, Raiders, the Packers may be a little better than we thought they were, but they, they're not great. Uh, Jets and Giants did not talk about today because I, I, we can't talk about the Jets and Giants anymore. Give me, I needed a break from that. We got baseball going on. That's the big story. And, of course, the interview with Jean-Jacques Taylor. So I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for tuning in again. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. That pretty much does it. We'll talk to you, we'll talk to you later, everybody. Thanks for watching. See ya. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to let everyone know by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our website at LockedUpSports.net. Remember, you can also find us on your favorite social media site, on Twitter at LockedUpSports, on the gram at Locked underscore Up underscore Sports. Join our Facebook group, Locked Up Sports, or on TikTok at Locked Up Sports Show. Now you can catch all the latest from Locked Up Sports anytime. Thanks for listening.